Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Hart. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. Welcome, 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 welcome to Midnight Book Club, the Witcher episode summaries. The Witcher innings. The Witcher innings, the more Witchery Witcher Witcher. Yeah, sure. I, I think I had a stroke there. <laughs> um, this is episode four of season two of The Witcher on Netflix. I am John Mark. And I'm Alexa. And we are Witcher self-described super fans. I don't necessarily love that term, but it does describe us, honestly. Embrace it. At this point, (laughs) I just feel like a guy who likes The Witcher sometimes. So you're a super fan. I don't. I don't think that qualifies You're me. You're a super fan. I mean, You're I definitely ha- I, a super fan. I do help run a podcast dedicated thus far entirely to The Witcher. So, I mean, yeah, I kind of guess I am. I guess that, that does elevate above regular fan. Um, so together, we recap the entire Witcher book series, mm-hmm. and we recap season one of The Witcher on Netflix. So we mm-hmm. figure while we're why, at it. Why not just throw season two in there, yeah, you know? I guess, why not? I guess it's what the people expect. So we're on episode four. Yeah. We are still slightly recovering from a cold. Uh, so I apologize for anyone who listened to the last episode where we were pretty, pretty deathly sick. I don't apologize for anything. Um, okay. I mean, I think we had to cut out probably close to 150 some odd coughs. In well, the, like they're <laughs> mostly your coughs. They, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that they weren't my coughs. I'm just saying that I think they were in there and they had to get edited out. So, Well, they didn't hear them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to, you know, show, show how the sausage is made just a little bit. Yeah, give you a glimpse. Into give you a us. glimpse of just how we ugly so it really dedicated. is. We are so <laughs> dedicated to this content that we are willing to bring it to you if we are sick yep, yep. or dead uh, and don't yep. think about it too much <laughs> yep uh alexa has been known to bring out you know the ouija board or ha- hold a seance or something to get get me back in here hosting um yeah, i've been, been clinic i've been clinically dead for a year and a half now just waiting for everybody else to figure it out i guess you know yeah, it's a real like, tyler Durden actually type. lives in his body it's super yeah weird. yeah it There's is like weird. a timeshare situation mm-hmm. Um, lots of they told involved. they told me it was a good deal. They told me it would be a good deal, um, and I'd be able to get use it at least three weeks out of the year. That's how you come to share a body with a supervillain. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Is that a spoiler? Um, I mean, it's a spoiler for anyone who hasn't listened to our main primary like storyline. But hey, everybody, Volgafort is a villain. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even think about the fact that it's probably it might be a spoiler for the TV show. Um, okay, so yeah, spoiler alert, I guess, Alexa. Wow. Can't you just tell, though? I mean, like, they're not... No, you can't. Not in the TV show. Okay, Mostly sure. because they're, the storyline is kind of weak, but... Sure, okay, but just from his name alone. I mean, Vilgefort's villain... That's true. It's I mean, so the Latin... obvious. Always pay attention to your Latin roots. The Latin roots are definitely there. I think like Anse was like, hmm, I have a villain, villain. I need to name. I need a name. Hmm. Villain. Hmm. Villain Gefort. Villain Gefort. Yeah. Yes. Oh, now that's a little too on the nose. Let's shorten it to Vil. Vil. Nope, nope, nope. Don't like that. Uh, Vil. 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 There we go. There it is. There's the one. Okay. Done. 
now I've got my villain. Yep, so now we got our villain. So we are off to the races. Yep. So last week we recapped episode three, which was the episode where we had that Eskel flashback, and we talked about how there was initially going to be more Eskel flashbacks. So this week we read something where the creator of the show, Lauren, Lauren Hisrick. Sorry yes. if I mispronounced it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know how you pronounce it, but anyways. Apparently, the fandom has been a little upset about Eskel dying. Deservedly so. Why. Um, and she addressed some of the backlash, and I thought it was kind of interesting. So I wanted to talk about it before we get into episode four. So so the source here, I'm quoting this from RedanianIntelligence.com, uh, which is a relatively uh, reputable source um, for things like this but uh, witcher they, news yeah witcher witcher and witcher related news um but they are transcribing a an interview that uh felicia day uh provided on the witcher unlocked which i think is a netflix side show um but i could be mm. wrong i don't know exactly where it is i'm not the one i just found the article and read it but felicia day uh opens with the question Eskel's death in episode two, it was very traumatic. Can you explain your decision to kill him off so soon? Because people want to know. Yes, Hissert replied. People definitely want to know. Well, a couple of things. Well, we know we had to kill someone in that episode. We knew that we wanted a monster to enter Caramorn, and we wanted it to have something to do with Ciri. And both Geralt and Vesmir and the brothers realized that bringing this girl into their Witcher keep is going to fundamentally change things. Our audience is going to meet Cohen and Lambert and Eskel. And you know, John and who's going to die. And in all honesty, the very first version of the script that we wrote, there was a brand new witcher that we'd never met before, we'd never heard of, and all of a sudden we were like, oh, our audience is going to meet Cohen and Lambert and Eskel. And you know, John, who's going to die? John is going to die. So we thought about it really hard, and I know there are fans who love Eskel and who feel like, why would we do that? But honestly, his death is what changes everything for Geralt. And I think it propels Geralt's need to figure out what's going on with Ciri and do it fast. Because he knows that he's going to if he's that he's going to risk losing her and his brothers if he doesn't. And we really just wanted to motivate that character journey for him. Okay. A couple of thoughts right off the bat. Did someone need to die in episode two? Not necessarily. Not necessarily, but it it doesn't hurt. It creates conflict. Um Say we did need someone to die. Yeah. This is assuming that people who are watching the TV show have consumed all the media around Correct. Witcher. So assuming that they've met Eskel either through playing The Witcher 3 or, you know, he's in The Witcher 1 and Witcher 2 as well, but I haven't played that, so I'm not as mm-hmm. familiar with it. Or I've read the books mm-hmm. or maybe both. So to people who are just watching the TV show... They have just met Eskel for the first time. Yes. He literally, he appears in, he first appears in the episode that he dies in. So in that way. Canonically, that makes him a red shirt. Right. In that way, Eskel and John have the same impact when we just look at the TV series. So I personally don't think there is much of a case Mm -hmm. for it having to be specifically Eskel. Plus, I don't actually think she made a good case for why that motivates Geralt moving forward. 
we only see Eskel in one flashback. We definitely see that, you know, Geralt regrets it. We see him, you know, his dead Eskeleshi corpse Mm -hmm. a couple more times. Mm -hmm. But I would argue it actually is more of a, like, catalyst for Vesemir's arc than for Geralt. Yeah, yep. So I'm kind of like, how does that motivate Geralt to do anything? Why Geralt is motivated to do things for Ciri is because he wants to do right by Ciri. Mm -hmm. Why does he need a death to help him do that? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to bring up here a little bit of a a relatively well-known trope. I think I've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast. Um, the, The term is women in refrigerators. And the reason it's called women in refrigerators is it goes back to an old Green Lantern comic where they introduce Green Lantern's wife in one comic and then two issues later uh, a supervillain murders her and shoves her in a refrigerator it specifically generally often happens to female characters mm-hmm. um, but more and more often I mean yay progress in society we're seeing it more and more often not necessarily specific to female characters they refrigerated Eskel here Yes. when you kill off a character that you've only kind of just introduced for the specific purpose of motivating the main character, that's refrigerating them or refrigeratoring them. Um, and like that is probably the biggest sin in this entire season um, because they do it not just to Eskel. It's not great writing. Like you need to have characters have motivations internal to themselves or at least transparent mm-hmm. enough that they're in, they, they seem to be internal to themselves. Just killing off another character to motivate them forward is kind of lazy. Um, sure. Like there's other things you can do with it. And like, like you said, it actually does work. Thinking on it now, you brought up a very good point. It actually works very well for motivating Vesemir's uh, story arc. Um because he's always viewed all of these these other witchers as father or as a uh, son type figures um he viewed them as his kids losing a child would be a very heavily motivating factor um and it kind of motivates him to like want to keep the lineage of witchers going mm-hmm. and then that kind of brings out some other story plots that were generated for the TV show that we'll talk about when they come up um but looking back on it now it absolutely does do a good job of motivating that once again and it comes back to it you've had the same amount of character development the audience has had the same amount of exposure to Mm -hmm. eskel as they would have had john the witcher john slash bill i kept calling him bill bill the witcher i like bill the witcher more (laughs) um the audience has had the same amount of screen time the -hmm. same amount of bonding with them just kill off bill the witcher Anybody who's familiar with the games, anybody who's familiar with the books, anybody who's familiar with anything else is going to recognize, oh, okay, that guy's probably going to die. It's going to be a Sean Bean type moment like, oh, he's a walking spoiler. We know that this guy's probably going to die. That's fine. It's not going to upset the fan base. It's a little bit lazy-ish mm-hmm. writing, but it's it's also not always lazy. Like, you can do it an episode or two later. Yes. Like... I also think given, and I'm I'm not going to give any spoilers for how this all ends in case you don't want to go that far, you haven't gotten that far yet, but there is a, there is, I think, a better storyline that they could have done that would go across the season. Like, I feel like if they had built up a character 
across an entire season and had a character die after initially not liking the character and not caring about the character of Siri, that would have actually been a more yeah yep. significant death because we might have had more time to get to know this person. Mm-hmm. As it was, you know, Eskel didn't have as much impact as he could have had with more screen time. Um, I just don't think there needed to be a death. And if there did, why pick him? I, I don't get it. Yeah. Yep. I also think that this is a crutch that they lean on a lot this season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just killing people off. Yep. Like I said. For no other reason <laughs> that they just need plot progression. Yep. And I think that might be a symptom of not having a lot of episodes to work with. I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt like, especially with this episode in comparison to like the first three, I felt like we were moving so quickly. This definitely should have been stretched out into at least two episodes. Like I felt Um, like we were watching what happened in the book on like, we were just pressing like fast forward. Yep, we, yep. I just was like, okay, we got to get to these points and then we got to move on. Which is a is a pretty common occurrence for movie slash TV adaptations of, of literary material. It always does feel a lot faster. Um, I remember the first time I rewatched the Harry Potter movies after I, I read the books and I was like, oh my God, everything's happening so fast. Um, and then I kind of realized, oh, oh yeah, because you're condensing, you know, 600 pages into you know an hour and a half um so like yeah things are going to move faster and they need to progress faster but leaning on the death of a character doesn't necessarily help with that i mean it sure it technically does because it moves the plot forward but you can only do it maybe once and then it then it just kind of seems hacky and lazy yeah, and there are characters that are like kind of significant characters in the book that they kill off later in the season. Yeah, that we see for maybe a scene, yep, and it's like, yep. why, why are we why including would, that? So, like, and here's the other thing too: is that like it, these? Okay, so as much as we love Eskel, he really was not super important to the plot. No, the, the the greater overarching plot, he he was not essential to. He's a favorite character of ours, of course, so we'd hate to see him not show up. But like. Why even introduce him if you're just going to kill him off? And they do that to a couple other characters as well. That like we introduce them, there's we're they're seen, and it seems like the only reason that we are given their name is <laughs> literally just to not piss off the fans. Yeah, or like, and it might even be like a statement, and and maybe this is actually going a little too far. Mm. But I feel like it's a little bit of a statement, like to fans, like this belongs to us. And we are going to do what we want with it, which is fine. But also, you have to realize that the fans are kind of the reason that you even exist at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not saying you have to, like, kowtow to the the fans. Like, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. But it does sort of feel like a big fuck you sometimes. Like, yeah. some of, some it, of the choices do It's feel very, that way. very hard not to feel that way. Um, like... It, with any fan base, you're going to piss off some amount of it with, with any with any property that you're converting into a, a different medium. Some of the fans are going to be pissed off about something. Um, I'm sure some of the video game fans were kind of pissed off for whatever reason about something else that, you know, wasn't included or correctly, et cetera, et cetera. You can't please 100% of the people all the time, but like 
you can try to get most of them. Like, and, and there's, I understand that the, it's a hard line to walk between mm-hmm. pandering to your fans and, you know, just doing straight up lip service to the fan base because that doesn't work as well either. And there's plenty of movies that do that and it's terrible. Um, but you can still keep the spiritual feel of the series and you can keep a lot of the, the really like loved plot lines intact while still mm-hmm. nece- while still kind of telling like a different story. And, and so yeah. like And by the way, I'm also like not saying they don't have a difficult job here. Oh yeah, yeah, um, like I, I don't know that I could have done uh, half of what they do. I mean, this is me saying that the Alexa version would mm-hmm. probably not be as good as this. But I think that there are certain storylines you're just like, mm. <laughs> like I would have gone a different this, direction. This absolutely could have been handled differently. Yes. Like, I like I probably couldn't handle the whole story here and the whole transition. But I do feel like in this particular part, I think I could have done it a little better. But that's you know just me being an asshole. So, well, we do have a lot of thoughts on this. Yes, um, I really do want to hear what you think you know as the fans Mm -hmm. what do you think about Eskul what do you think about season two I've heard from some of you on this and I really love hearing your point yeah absolutely um we've been getting a lot of activity on on season two and I'm I'm really really happy about it people have a lot of hot people have a lot of hot takes (laughs) and I love it like I really do even if I don't agree with it I love hearing it 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 it, I agree with most of it yeah we agree Um, with most of them (laughs) so you can dm us um we're on instagram at midnight book cast again that's midnight book cast um, and also, if you want to support the podcast, if you really want to go above and beyond, we have a buy me a coffee where you can just donate, you know, whatever you feel is right. So you can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash midnight pod. OK, so now that everyone is covered with absolutely blistering hot tea, is it safe? Are we safe to lower the rant shields? I, I think we can lower the rant shields yes, a little bit. Yes, we can. Um, and I think we can probably transition on to. Um, are long and skinny? Is it is it time to, to move yes. into the long and the skinny? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. So again, we are recapping episode four of the mm-hmm. Witcher on Netflix called Redanian Intelligence. Oh, hey, timely that I found that uh, that website. So we see a mountain pass and we hear a voiceover from Geralt. The trail will test you, force you to move beyond the pain, the fear, the failure until you become one with the killer itself. Henry Cavill doing some really good voice work there. Yeah. Um, remember, hesitation will draw danger to you like fire, but trust the path you choose. It will protect you if you listen. You should always listen. Um, throughout this, we see Geralt, you know, climbing up a mountain. We see Siri climbing up a mountain. Geralt running through the woods. Siri running through the woods. And we hear like this creature noise in the background and Siri hides behind a tree And then we see her fall down a hill um, and we hear more animal noises as Siri bleeds onto the ground. Um, And then we hear a voice that's a different voice, but maybe a little familiar to us. Uh, Someone says, don't be scared. I'm not going to hurt you. And we see Triss Marigold. And then she realizes and says, oh, you're a girl. Siri asks, who are you? And Triss says, I'm going to Kaer Morin. How about you? Siri is like, I've heard this speech before. Don't accept candy from strangers. Never get taken to the secondary location. (laughs) So she hesitates for a minute and kind of starts backing off. And 
Tris is like, I understand you being cautious, but be reasonable. How else would I know the way? Tris, you're sounding a little stranger danger. Here. Stranger danger. Um, stranger danger. <laughs> so Tris goes up to Siri and she um, chants a spell and her wound heals up. And Siri's like, oh, that's kind of cool. I guess you're okay. I should follow you. <laughs> and she says, uh, your heart beat faster. I heard it. And uh, Tris hands some snow-covered flowers to Siri, says, it's nice to meet you. And then Siri says, you're a sorceress, like Yennefer. But before Tris can respond, we see Geralt approach. And uh, he says, Tris. We see that he's holding a goat. And Siri says to Tris, oh, so you're also a friend of Geralt's. You must be quite charitable. I thought the delivery on this was really good yeah <laughs> that's a hell of a dig i don't think i caught that really good yeah. um so Geralt says to tris it's good to see you again we can tell right away there's something between these two um we saw a little bit of their relationship develop last season so we can tell that Geralt is actually happy to see her and, and tris is very much in the same boat so we see them enter care morin's great hall um Geralt tells the brothers i brought dinner um meaning the goat and Vesemir says warmly more than that and he greets Triss and uh, she greets him with a cheek kiss and Lambert is like oh the women are doubling um always there with a misogynist joke and Vesemir says oh we could have used you here sooner Triss and Geralt says hopefully we still can Tris says she's going to retire to freshen up. Um, she asks the brothers if they're going to do the same. And they're like, what? Like, we've never done that before. Um, so as Tris exits, Siri asks Geralt, how do you know each other? And Geralt doesn't immediately answer, which is something he won't do much this episode, actually. And then we see the uh, outskirts. Well, actually, the inskirts. <laughs> we see an overhead shot of Oxenfurt, which is a college town in Redania, if you don't know. And we hear a town crier who says, The end is nigh. The wild hunt walks among us. Nilfgaard is our punishment. We see elves in chains being led through the streets. A guard yells at an elf, and one elf is forced to pee himself. Um, he calls everyone elf scum calls the others pointies um so we're getting a really hearty dose of elf racism early the yeah and and i've said this before but the the elf racism they really just like mashed the gas pedal on it yes. on this one it doesn't come through nearly as overt in the books but and then we hear the crier who's still going on about you know the end is nigh um he says watch for the signs which you might recognize is from Ithleen's prophecy and then on to my favorite storyline. Yennefer and Kahir are together. And Kahir uh, says, the streets are too crowded. Wow, great observation, Kahir. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah, I mean, he is... God. We're going to get into that. I'm going to try to get in. Uh-huh. I'm going to try to get through this without... Try not to make the eye rolls too audible. <laughs> a lot of commentary. Um, so Kahir asks Yennefer, can't you portal us out? And Yennefer says she can't. Portals can't portals can be tracked um and Kahir's like then explain why you're not dead weight Yennefer says you're not so useful yourself K 
Kay here says, I have a mission to complete. We need to get back to Sintra. Yennefer is like, oh yeah, I'm sure the guards would be so happy to see you. Kay here says, of course I'll be welcomed back with open arms. We'll make new memories. Yennefer says that, oh, haven't you heard? There's like a new order in Zintria under Fringilla's leadership. Isn't it crazy how quickly people forget about you when you're not there? We hear crows cawing and papers flutter in bad CGI. I, I don't think they had a lot of budget for this. Um, it's like the owls dropping off the acceptance letter to Hogwarts, but way worse. Um, and we see the wanted posters of both Yennefer and Kay here. I actually like the design of these pretty. Yeah, I actually really loved the, the design on the wanted posters. They were really cool. Looking. They're really cool. Um, and then we see people start to recognize them, and Kay here says, we're not safe here. And Yennefer Thank you says, again. <laughs> Just really, really driving home the usefulness of you here, Kay here. Nothing gets past Kay here. Um, Yennefer says, okay, Sintra it is. And then we see a kingdom on top of a hill. An owl flutters in, and we see from the owl's point of view as two advisors approach King Vizimir. We met him last episode. He's the king of Verdania. So both of the advisors are warning him of assassins. And the female advisor is killed violently right in front of him with a like, knife right to the throat. Um, and then Dijkstra is acknowledged by Vizimir. Dijkstra is a very notable book character. We know him as like the chief intelligence guy for Redania. So then we see the other advisor guy, the male advisor, who's shaking in his boots. And Dijkstra just calmly hands him a glass of wine that is clearly poisoned. And uh, he has to drink it. So he drinks it and uh, he keels over dead. Dijkstra tells Vizimir that he had to be sure. I guess by this he means he had to be sure they were dead. Vizimir says he can't believe it. He's known uh, the male advisor since he was 12. Um, Dijkstra says, yeah, they were traitors, but they still had a point. The North has founded an alliance based on hatred of elves. We shouldn't give a shit, though. What'll happen once the elves are killed? Nilfgaard is taking the crown jewel of the North, meaning Sintra, and will have hungry mouths to feed. Vizimir is like, sorry, what's the point? And Dijkstra says, Sintra is the point. We wouldn't have taken it from Kalanthe, but now we may have a shot. Vizimir is like, oh, I catch your drift. Power. Nothing gets past this guy. So sharp. Him and Kay here should just like form like a <laughs> like a mystery solving duo. Oh, they like, be so yeah. good. I mean, Spin-off I, I would, idea? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we see the owl. The owl is being highlighted a lot. Book readers there's, there's might a lot understand of, why. A lot of focus on the owl here. Actually, both book readers and Witcher 3 players might understand who this is right away. That is completely correct. So the owl continues watching and Dijkstra approaches it and uh, he turns to Vizimir and says, leave it with us, meaning Sintra domination, I guess. Mm-hmm. So then we see the medallion of this episode. It's a cloak with a dagger, which is um, appropriate for meeting Dijkstra for the first time. Episode title being Redanian Intelligence. And Dijkstra basically is the Redanian Intelligence. Definitely. It works. So we see Kaer Morin and we see that Ciri and Triss are seated at the table in the Great Hall. And uh, they're all eating. Ciri asks the witchers, any herbs or mushrooms today? And everyone's like... Be quiet. Be cool. Don't bring that up. And Triss is like, 
you're feeding her herbs and mushrooms in December? So, okay, like the, the other thing here in this scene, and they do kind of talk about it a little bit. They don't explain it much. They actually. don't explain it much. They explain it a little bit in the later ep- later in the episode. Um, but basically, like the herbs and mushrooms were like the equivalent of like steroids. Um, and so like the witchers were kind of like, Hey, be cool. Like you're probably not, it's probably not great for you to be eating those, but like we've been feeding to them to you anyways. Cause like, yeah, it's basically like witcher roids. Siri swole. Siri smash. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so yeah, like they're, they're kind of just like, you know, don't narc us out kid. Like be cool. And she's not picking up like, Oh, why aren't we, <laughs> why is there no mushrooms today? <laughs> Um, so Siri's like, well, that was kind of weird. Um, but Triss, Geralt said you saved his life. And Triss says, and, and there's a lot of flirtation between the two this episode. And Triss sort of teases Geralt with this retelling. She says uh, that he found himself in my kingdom. He helped me with a princess in trouble. She took a big chunk out of him and he saved her anyway. And Siri says, oh, well, I know that you're talented because you healed my cheek. That's kind of impressive. Um, Siri also compliments her dress, and she's like, oh, I can give you a tour of the keep. And uh, Triss is like, well, actually, I know this place pretty well. Um, phrasing? <laughs> it's, no, I mean, it's 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 a straight-up, like, illusion. Like, illusion. It's a straight-up, like, reference. You I know, know it uh, yeah. pretty well, actually. <laughs> okay, I mean, you know. Um, Vesemir says that he invited Triss to Care Morin after Geralt met her to thank her for helping him. And Geralt tells Siri, I brought Triss here for you to help guide you. And Siri is like, like how Mausak did. And Geralt says, just like Mausak. Geralt's like, okay, Siri, time for bed. Um, Cohen escorts her, um, says, hey, maybe we'll play a game of snaps. This is a reference to the book. Uh, we see Siri and Cohen mm-hmm. playing snaps quite a bit. Um, and uh, Triss is like, hey, how do you and Siri know each other? And Geralt doesn't answer right away. And uh, like I said, this is a theme we see throughout the episode. So, back in Oxenfurt, oh joy, uh, what are Jennifer and Kay here getting into? They're sneaking around as guards are hunting for elves late at night. What? Oh, sorry. Um, a guard is like, hey, hey, I know you two. Um, and uh, Kay here beats him up. He pins Kay here and then Yennefer smacks the guard in the back of the head. And um, they get away. So, they run through a shrub and into the sewer and Kay here jumps down like it's weird. I, I don't really know how this worked, but like he jumps down a grate and Kay here kind of comically says we're safer down here than up there and is immediately grabbed by an elf um, who holds him at knife point. And we see another elf approaching and Yennefer tries to calm down the situation, says we're not here to hurt you. Um, Kay here just loudly threatens everyone, which seems to be his default approach. That seems pretty on brand for Kay here, though. I mean, yeah. So the other elf, the one that's not holding Kay here by knife point, um, is named Dermain, and he tries to communicate by signing. 
And he points out to the elf, we see this via subtitle, um, that these two are wanted. And so they're probably on the elf's side. And uh, he's like, hey, the sandpiper is a refuge and he helps elves get to Zintria. And the elf um, who held Kay here by knife point is like, don't talk about that. And Kay here is like, translate for us, nerd. And uh, Kay here is like, look, we can uh, guarantee you some land if you help us with passage to Sintra. Yennefer is like trying to be good cop to Kay here's bad cop. And uh, the signing elf seems to really want to help. And uh, finally, the other elf, the knife point guy, begrudgingly agrees. Um, the elf who is nice, Dermaine, calls Yennefer pretty. And Kay here gives Yennefer a backhanded compliment, saying, maybe you are useful after all. Yennefer says that men remain simple. We then hear an ominous, like, slithery sound, and something is clearly moving in the sewer. So I'm sure that's not going to come up again. Yeah, you know, like, it's not at all like Chekhov's slithery thing. It's funny how they pay attention to that, that rule here, but, you yeah. know... When it comes to characters or anything, anything else. Whatever. You know, all right, whatever. Back at Caramoran, Geralt explains that Siri won't tell him anything about what happened in Sintra. And Triss says, well, you know, she could have inherited some power. Um, when did she first start exhibiting signs of chaos? And Geralt says she hasn't exhibited much, actually. She can't even form signs. She seems to have the power of foresight, though. And Triss is like, well, can you give me an example? And Geralt says, well, she saw me at the aftermath of Sodom before it happened. Triss kind of winces, says no one should have to look at that carnage. Geralt has a thousand-yard stare, and uh, he explains that Ciri then found a pull that led them to the leshy that killed Eskel. Um, he takes Triss to the lab and shows her the head of the beast that was after Ciri. This is like the centipede goat thing. Um, and Geralt says that both the Leshy and this creature tried to kill Ciri. He asked Triss, could a mage have made this? And Triss says, yeah, they could, but making monsters is outlawed now for mages. And like, yeah. Geralt's like, oh, yeah, and mages never do anything illegal. Yeah, though. they never do anything illegal. And once you make something illegal, no one ever does it. So then Triss does something that I think is just like kind of hand-waving a bit. Like she takes a chunk off of the monster head and puts it in a vial and she says that she can do this procedure that will show them if there's any like involvement from a like it was alchemical, alchemic, alchemical mutagenic substances. So basically, this will tell them if there is any involvement. If by a mages. if a mage used a traditional mutagen to create it, right? Um, and like Triss is like, why would a mage even want to create this? And Geralt says, I don't know, but something dark lies ahead for Siri. I can feel it. That's why I'm training here. After all, I won't be here forever to protect her. Um, so they leave the room and Triss apologizes like, hey, I'm really sorry about what happened to Eskel. And Geralt's like, yeah, I'm sorry about what happened at Sodden. And Triss, you know, says, you know, every night before bed, I say the names of the fallen um, before bed. And uh, she starts saying the names of the fallen. And as she gets to like the third or fourth name, Geralt stops her, knowing that she's going to probably say Yennefer. Of course, the audience knows that they now know that Yennefer is not dead. Wait, so. if he had just let her finish, he would have realized that Yen's name was not on the list. Right. 
Um, so Tris is like, if it's up to me, everyone should be remembered. They can live on that way or something more. See, we keep bringing up something more because it's a reference to the book. You guys like guys. Right? You, you see, it's in the, it's the book title, right? Like it's the chapter title. It's, it's the chapter title. Like it's it's there. <laughs> yeah, like we read the books, kinda. Kinda. Um. So Tris says, "You witchers pretend not to have emotions, but I know you do." And uh, she's like, "I know you feel love and hatred, fear, pain, regret, joy, and sadness." And she takes his hands and she's like, please, just stay with me tonight. And Geralt's like, Triss. And Triss says, let's not be alone. And Geralt's like, I have like to do anything else, really. I I just really don't want to do that. And Triss just watches as he walks away. Then we're back in the sewer. And Kay here asks what this sewer is. I'm pretty sure that it's a sewer, Kay here. Um, but we learned that this is actually the runes of um, the city that the elves built, that humans built on top of. Um, Yennefer asks how Dermain, the elf, got um, that injury that he has. Uh, his his ears aren't pointy. Oh, he got like, yeah. The- uh, so his ears are round. Yeah. Um, and like they're covered in scars. Um, if you look really close at him kind of thing. And so Yennefer was asking like, hey, what's up with your ears? Because like... Which is a valid question. That's a valid question. Like that's a pretty big point of pride for a lot of elves. So like what? So knifey elf. Um, that's probably somewhat of a slur. I Well, I think... Knife <laughs> you, point elf. You meant, the, you meant the elf that was holding them at knife yes. point. Um, but also like I realized that I have no idea what his name is. I think it's the same guy that peed himself earlier. I don't think it's the same guy, but we see him later. Anyways. Um, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, so um, the elf says that um, they were attacked by villagers and then they were confronted by guards later. Um, And he says that ever since Sintra, people have accused us of being Nilfgaardian sleeper cells. Yennefer says, oh, that sounds familiar. And the elf is like, oh, I doubt it. Um, we anyway, we don't have fight in us anymore. The North made sure of it. Dermain steps into like the like a bigger sewer room, for lack of a better term, and he has their his back facing this like water buildup. So we already know that there's probably something happening. Bye, Dermain. <laughs> um, but Dermain talks about um, well, he signs about. Um, His dream of having a farm and animals and a buxom-haired raven woman. Yennefer smiles, and then he is subsequently grabbed by a creature. Um, Yennefer tries to rescue him and is almost pulled over um, and is actually pulled under the water, but she eventually gets out. Like, Kahir is, like, trying to help, but he doesn't really help. Like, he gives up after a while. He's helping, quote-unquote. Um, so Kay here is like, kill it, kill it, kill it. Um, and Yennefer is like, I can't, um, because she doesn't have magic, obviously. And unfortunately, both of them escape with their lives. Um, I, I don't mean, I mean, I'm we, we wanted to see Yennefer Yen survive, but I'm just yeah, saying yeah. that maybe both of them didn't need to come out of that. Yeah. They get onto the streets from the sewer and Yennefer screams, what's the point of anything? Um, And she starts ranting about losing her magic and how the love she thought she had was a wish and the power has turned to ash. And Kay here like kind of grabs her and says, you were incredible at Sodden. (laughs) Um, 
I forgot about that line. And was he at Sodden? <laughs> he was, and he did actually. We we did see him looking at her, but like we could not read his reaction. Yeah, it didn't yeah. like seem like he was like wow, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, I mean like because he he wasn't anywhere near at the book, so like yeah, all right. Um, and like Kay here says, maybe there's a bigger plan for you now. And Jennifer is like, yeah, sure. White flame brings purpose and meaning and all of that. You can skip Frangilla's speech. And Kay here says, Frangilla is devoted to the cause. Jennifer says, Frangilla is a political animal. The whole faith thing is a lie to make people behave the way you want to behave. Um, Kay here says, well, okay. It didn't work at Sodden, but what if it did? We serve him because he served us first. No, no, no. I, I, I want to I wanna correct you on that line just a little okay. bit because because it makes even less sense. Okay. I, maybe I was trying to... Um, he, was, he, was, he, he retorts by saying, I've met the head of your order and she probed my mind for the depths of oh, its I secrets. That, yeah. But it didn't work. But what if it had? What would she have found? We serve Amir because he served us first. Okay, maybe that's why I didn't get that accurately. Because that line makes no fucking sense. I don't know how they're trying to tie like, to what is, what, to Amir. It's a good question, Kay here. What would she have found if it had worked? What would she have found? Like, yeah. we don't know what your motivations are because you don't show us anything. Like, yes. we know nothing about you. Like, ah. Okay, so we serve him because he served us first. Everyone answers to somebody, even you. Anyway, Yennefer spots the elf. Um, this was the knife point elf that abandoned uh, Dermain in the sewer. And she confronts him um, as they go into this, like, what looks like the back room of an inn. And he said, I had no other options. And we hear someone performing above in the tavern. And we're like, hmm. I know that loot. And uh, the elves say that it's the sandpiper. And Yennefer's face brightens as she realizes it indeed is Yaskir. And we see the view from above where Yaskir is performing a new song called Burn, which is clearly a breakup song about Geralt. Um, he clearly says, like, burn, butcher, burn. And he seems very emotionally involved in the song. So we know this is something he's really feeling. So somewhere else, uh, Dijkstra is getting really drunk. And we're seeing him ranting about the white flame. And we're seeing this from the owl's perspective, by the way. Um, he says that holy men are depraved. Amir has got to have some vices. But that's the problem. No one knows his proclivities. What he is, what he wants. He must want something. He must like women, men. Nothing makes any sense, which is basically Thank me this you. entire episode. <laughs> Thank you, Dijkstra, for giving a voice to <laughs> our feelings. So Dijkstra comes to the conclusion, we need to find an informant inside the city walls, meaning Sintra. But we don't have any options. And the owl just blankly stares on. So we hear Dijkstra say, an elf in Sintra is the key, but it has to be the right elf. Someone malleable and trustworthy in all the right ways. And we see Dara, who is pulled out of prison. Um, this is Ciri's old companion. Um, so I guess that's what became of him. So back at Kermorin, Ciri walks down to breakfast and we see she's really put a lot of effort into her appearance. She has like a nicer outfit and uh, she's done her hair and has put a flower in her hair. Tris compliments her and Ciri asks, 
okay, when can we get started on our training? And Tris says that they can start today. And uh, Siri gets up as the other witchers enter and Lambert makes fun of her. Oh, is that a flower in your hair? Um, and Siri immediately just gets flustered and walks out. And Geralt walks in like, what just happened? What happened? Why is she upset? And uh, Triss scolds them for mocking Siri and says, you dress her in rags, keep her bruised. She doesn't even have soap or cloth for her time of the month. You say you're mutants, and the truth is you just choose to be ignorant. And Cohen goes after Siri while Geralt remains deep in thought. In the lab, Triss and Siri look at the spinny thing that is the... Uh, um, so that is an actual piece of medical equipment. Yes. Um, it's a centrifuge. Um, okay. And you use it for separating uh, fluids of different density. Okay. Um, usually they use it for like blood samples. Um, you put a blood sample in one end um, and when it spins, uh, it separates all the blood cells out from the plasma, um, which is a good way to separate the blood from the plasma. Duh. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know what else you'd be doing with it. Um so it is an actual, uh, nor, the old ones uh, back in like the 1800s, you had to crank by hand. Um, so they have oh, like a little, wow. a little, and that's actually what it looks like. They have this, these really cool hinges that swing up. Um, I'm fairly certain they modeled it specifically after like old timey like centrifuges. Sorry, it was, it, was a, it was a cool prop that I kind of nerded out about a little bit being in something like that. Yeah, so this is what they're using to kind of separate the um, component out that would tell them if this is a uh, mage creation or not. So Geralt brings food to Siri and he tells Siri, hey, you know, everyone felt bad that you didn't finish your breakfast. They say, sorry. Um, Siri says to Geralt, you know, my grandma wore dresses and won battles. You can do both. And Geralt says, yeah, I know. I'm still terrified of her. Yeah, um, I know. Your grandmother was a terrifying woman. <laughs> Tris takes the concoction out and she says, there's something weird in here. And uh, it's just like kind of black ash. And Geralt takes out a leshy sample and he scrapes it. And we find out that they both have stalac- stalactite. St- Stalakite, it's a made-up compound. Um, yes. She said that it would glow if it had the presence of mutagenic yeah. alchemy. It didn't glow, but stalakite was what they found in it, um, which Geralt then pieces together saying like, oh, yeah, it's, it's what the obelisks are made out of. Okay, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So um, Geralt says that clearly they came from the same place, and Triss says the monolith? That doesn't make any sense. And Geralt asks Siri, what do you know about this? And Siri's like, well, okay. When Nilfgaard attacked, I kind of destroyed one. And Geralt is like, what? Okay, so this was kind of important. And this is not for, uh, this is not in the books in any way. Um, but like they make a big point about the uh, the monoliths. I called it an obelisk earlier. The monolith. like an obelisk. I mean, it is um, by definition. Um, they make a big deal about the monoliths being uh, borderline indestructible. Um, so like it's a big deal for Siri to be like oh yeah by the way I just destroyed one it'd be the equivalent of saying like I destroyed a Golden Gate Bridge while I was yeah. <laughs> like while while uh, Sintra was or being like, attacked um, or if you want to go one for one it's like destroying the Washington Monument yeah yeah like it, like it's very noticeable and like you destroyed it by screaming at it yes yeah how do you destroy your monoliths. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. So, um, Siri sees a vision. She sees a desert. And uh, we hear a voice. Your chaos belongs to us. Join the procession. Only death from here. And then we see Triss and Geralt trying to rouse her um, from where she has uh, been placed in her bed. Geralt says, you're brave, but let us help. So Siri continues her story and says that when the Black Knight captured her, she screamed, and that's how the monolith cracked. Triss asks how that could possibly happen, and Geralt says, well, I need to see it for myself, meaning the monolith. And Siri says, hey, maybe these monsters are my fault. And Geralt says, don't worry, I'll fix it. Um, back in Oxenfurt in the tavern in the morning, Yaskir is still there. We see some drunk, drunk patrons and Yennefer approaches and Yaskir is startled and says, what fresh hell did you just crawl out of? And Yennefer just goes up to him and hugs him as he insults her. And she says, I miss when a twit was my biggest problem. And Yaskir says, okay, if we're going to have this conversation, I need a drink. And so they sit down um, as Yaskir rummages up some wine. And uh, Yennefer says, I heard your song. Geralt must have made you really mad. And Yaskir is like, that song could have been about anyone. Okay, yeah, it is about him. Perhaps it came from a broken heart. Yaskir says, we're better off without him. And Yennefer says, yes, but seems unconvinced. Yaskir is like, okay, tell me why your sad ass is here. And Yennefer says, you're the sandpiper. And Yaskir is like, no, what are you talking about? Okay, um, why? And Yennefer says, I'm in hiding. And Yaskir is like, wait, is it because you're part elf? And we see that he's actually sympathetic. He says, there are anonymous benefactors helping us make this right. And Yennefer asks, why? What's in it for you? And Yaskir says, I was at the Black Oak when it was raided. Everyone was welcomed. They come for the elves, they'll come for the dwarves, and then they'll come for everyone who is other. So this right here, I'm, I'm interjecting a little bit here, you know, not part of the analysis portion. This right here is probably one of the key, like, themes of probably the entire book series. Yes. Um, and, like, directly put into words in this this interaction. And I really just wanted to emphasize that, like, because it, it takes, a, in the books, it takes a lot more and it's kind of strung out a lot and it's, it's just a recurring theme. They directly bring it out. Like, this is, this is the theme. Yes. So, it's, it's, and it's a really great scene and I do love it. And we'll talk about this more later. Um, but Yaskier continues saying, you know, no artist is safe. I've learned one thing, though. Sometimes legends can be intoxicating. Yennefer says, well, Sam Piper, I need your help. And then Kay here approaches out of nowhere and Yaskier is like, what the fuck? And we're all like, we always have this reaction to Kay here as well. And uh, Yaskier calls for help. And Yennefer says, look, he's with me. We both need your help. And they're kind of huddled up together. They seem to be hinting at some sort of romantic connection between the two, which and I am not on board All for. of us start to immediately get nauseous. Yeah, because like visually, like Kay here is like standing really close to Yen and like... I don't get it. No, like just, just now get away from her. Ugh. Yeah, it's gross. Um, so Yaskir is like, you both. 
and we see, think he's gearing up to say something like really awful but then he's like you both smell absolutely god awful well now that we've gotten that out of the way the boat leaves at midnight um so back at Caremoran, Geralt is sharpening a knife as Triss approaches and Geralt's like hey about last night um I just can't give you what you want Triss is like I get it I get it it's just that your pain excited me and I'm like what <laughs> Geralt's like oh like you mean after Sodden and uh Triss is like kind of guarding her scars and Geralt says, you know, some wounds can't be healed. I hope you find your value somewhere else. It's definitely not going to be me, but, you know, you'll find someone. <laughs> he says, you are important to me, Triss, as a friend. <laughs> and Triss looks just really embarrassed. Um, Vesemir approaches out of nowhere, says, okay, so Geralt, you're going to Sintra. You said you wouldn't go back twice now. And Geralt's like, well, it's like you always say, no witcher has died in his bed. I have to protect Siri. I can't just stay here. Triss says, I have a friend there that can help. And then we see Istrid in a dark library. Seriously, turn some overhead lights on. Seriously, Eastred. like pitch black library. Like we were both commenting on this. Like, do like sorcerers have like some sort of weird incantation that doesn't give them eye that like lets them read without getting eye strain in yeah, the dark? Yeah, I don't, like, I don't know what's going on. I, like, just turn on some like. Can't you magically light like candles and shit? Like, I mean, he has candles, but it's still very dark. It yeah, seem yeah. Like there's any light that's coming from them. Yeah. Um. So Geralt uses a portal, and Eastred uses like a spell to act as interference, so Geralt can't get any closer. And Eastred is like, "Who the fuck are you?" And Geralt's like, "Who the fuck are you?" Like, Geralt is sitting down for a second, trying not to vomit on the floor. <laughs> I I love that little bit. Yes. We cut to Oxenfurt, where Yaskier is attempting to smuggle Yennefer and Kay here to the boat. Yaskir says, I'm going to do what I do best. And Kahir asks, which is? And Yaskir's like, oh, I never know. That's why I'm so good at it. And we see him go up, um, kind of just past the guard um, up to the boat. And uh, the guard is like, papers? And Yaskir comes down and he's sort of like, oh, man, um, I'm going to have to search for them for a minute. And he starts to sing a song. And the guard is like, oh, you're Yaskir. Don't worry about the papers. Um, and he's like, oh, great. Um, I'm going to go then. So he gets like halfway up um, to the boat again. And uh, the guard is like, except, you know, uh, that song that you're singing, it's not your strongest. And Yaskir is like, oh, yeah. And uh, the guard says, well, it's complicated. It took me until the fourth verse to understand that we were in different timelines. Magical kiss was a little cheap. I spotted the dragon reveal a mile away. And the loot warrior ending up with the warrior ladies is a little, well, false. And Yaskier starts getting really annoyed. Um, and he, like, tries to brush it off, but we know that he's going to say something. And he's like, well, why don't you write a song? Oh, wait, you can't. And Kay here says to Yennefer, they're both in the shadows. We need to intervene. Um, he says he'll distract while Yennefer will lead everyone else onto the boat. Yennefer says, no way. I'm not going to Sintra without you. My head will roll. Um, Yaskir is now being held up by the collar, by the guard. And uh, the elf from the sewer says, fuck the north. And the guard is like, what did you say? 
And then this elf is beat up mercilessly. And we're like, we get it. There's elf racism. They hate elves. Okay, cool. This certainly is a blood of elves. It certainly is. But that wasn't the reason it was titled that. But anyways. Anyway. Um, so we see the same cave um, at Care Morn again. This is the one that looks like the wolf skull. Um, and we see that Vesemir is walking through and that the bones of Eskel are the only thing that remains. Um, Vesemir goes out to the forest and he sees flowers growing in the spot where Ciri bled. This is very unusual. It's winter. Um, so he starts putting two and two together and we see him walk into the lab where um, Triss is waiting. It's like the Da Vinci Code and like he's like, oh, wait, I got it. I'm putting together a genetic mystery here. Um, so Vesemir says to Triss, hey, like, I heard you're really good with plants. What is this? And Triss? Oh, they're African violets. You can get them for $4 <laughs> at Lowe's. I mean, it's Fainawed. <laughs> so it's Fainawed, which we've heard on the show before. We've certainly heard it in the book. Um, she explains that, um, these can only grow where elder blood is spilled. Um, and Vesemir says uh, somehow that... Um, elder blood is the key to making new witchers, um, which is not the case in the book or any property, but whatever, we're going to go with it. We're back in Oxenfurt and we see, you know, we're down in, in the hull. Yeah. I mean, you're in, inside the ship, Okay. no, I, I just inside the ship, I think is, we're is inside kinda, the ship. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, it's in the car, in the cargo hold, in the basically cargo hold. in the hold of the ship. So, sure. um, we see Dara who was recently released from prison. Um, he thinks, he thanks Yaskir and, uh, Yaskir says no problem. And then he says goodbye to K here and says, uh, cool. You good from here. And K here says, yeah, I'll make sure that everyone has everything they need. And then, um, when K here walks away, thankfully, uh, Yaskir asks, what happened to you, Yennefer? And Yennefer says, chaos is done with me. And uh, Yaskir is like, you lost your magic? How is that even possible? And uh, once upon a time, I would have called you a, a power-hungry she-demon. But I'm an artist. It's my job to be empathetic. It's my job to put myself in your shoes, even if they are full of snakes and stuff. He says, I'm scared too. I'm scared that the muses will stop speaking to me. Because who are we when we can no longer do the one thing we were put here to do? And Yennefer says, we find a new purpose. And Yaskir delivers like a very nice line here. He says, chaos could never really be done with you, Yennefer of Vengerberg. Of that, I am certain. So bye, good luck, good riddance. And we see that he almost has tears in his eyes. And... Then Yaskir leaves, and we immediately hear him scream. Swung! And, you hear this uh, loot, loot jangle. Strings jangle, and Yennefer goes after him. As Kay here screams, Yennefer, what are you doing? And uh, she looks back at him, and then toward the direction where Yaskir disappeared, and we know she has to make a quick decision. And that's the end of episode four. And scene. Well... That was certainly an episode. That was an episode. Yeah, that was an episode. Um, it was certainly the middle episode, too. Yeah. So <laughs> this wasn't our favorite episode. No, it, it's, it's kind of a weak episode. There's not really any plot. There's not really anything that goes anywhere. It's kind of a lot of setting up. 
lot of setting up. A lot of setting up. A lot and lot, a lot, a lot of setting up. The K here Yennefer storyline just continues to be my least favorite of this whole episode. And that's saying something because there's the elf storyline as well. Um, I find K here, and I hate to keep bragging on this actor. I just find his delivery very jarring. And I don't really know how we're supposed to feel about him. Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't really think it's him, and I don't necessarily want to fault him for it, um, it because I think it might be a lot of like the direction he's being given. Because also, like they are completely making this up for him. Like yes. this is all entirely like created for him and for the character, and like none of this is rooted in source material in any fucking way. So like. It may be they may they they're probably grasping at straws for like what emotion he's supposed to be feeling and like so like they're probably just like I don't know angry like and he's like okay I'm angry <laughs> Jennifer why are you doing this <laughs> like he is so annoying this entire episode and like I just find him kind of grating he's like always yelling he's yelling at everyone his like default reaction is anger. And, like, he's also a jerk to Yennefer, who has done nothing to him but save him. Nothing but try and help him for whatever fucking reason, but... He's constantly mansplaining. Uh-huh. I'm just like, what is your deal, bro? Like, are are they trying to make me like him? Because it's not I, working. I don't think we're supposed to like him, fortunately. Like, I, I don't think, like, he's supposed to be, like, our favorite character. In fact, I think we're kind of supposed to hate him. I hope. Because if I, if they're gonna do what I think they're gonna do with him, it might it might pay off. But I don't <laughs> think we're supposed to like him right now. At least I hope not, because they're doing a terrible job of it. Yeah, like I I know he's supposed to be a jerk, but I'm like I'm really having some trouble like with where his storyline is leading, and I just find him as a character just like I don't want him to succeed. <laughs> I'm just like rooting against him. Yeah. Do we usually start with a well, actually? We do. We do? Okay. This is the section where we provide context, like, for um, the source material. So what happened in the book? What didn't? I don't know that we're going to have much in this section for this episode because pretty much all of this was made up. Yeah, let's go through the storyline. Like the entire episode. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Let's go through the storylines. Um, so Triss coming to Kaer Morin actually oh, okay. happened. That did happen, yes. Um, so it unfolds a little differently. I think everything unfolds a little differently, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so Triss does arrive at Kaer Morin. She has a similar exchange with Siri. She is like kind of her mentor. Um, she describes herself as like a big sister to her. We do see her chewing out the other witchers for mm. not like taking care of her as a girl, as Ooh. a woman. Yep. Okay. Um, I did want to talk about that scene a little bit. Okay. Um, because so like this is this is one of those like and this is going to branch a little bit into thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, the well actually portion of this is that Cohen and Lambert never really have this relationship with Siri. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they make fun of her for wearing like girly clothes. Um, it doesn't, they're, they're basically, they're immediately protective of her. They immediately yes. love her and immediately want to like help her. Um, so like there's no, like this sort of animosity never comes up. Um, but I actually, actually had to give it a little bit to the, the TV series 
because that is probably a little bit more realistic as to how that would play out. So you're talking about when Lambert and Cohen were making fun of Siri. Yeah, the oh, please tell me you lost a bet. And is that is that an actual flower in your hair? Yeah. Um yeah, like that actually probably is how how that would how that would play out. Um you know, any anybody that's like spent some time in a locker room would probably know like yeah, like somebody like that is it's not necessarily you know, as you get older, maybe learning, it's not always necessarily malicious. It's maybe necessarily like friendly banter. Um, but like that is entirely how that would play out. And a 12 year old girl would probably just deeply internalize it and then just go cry about it for the next eight right. years. Yeah, I, I don't mean anything by that. I, I just generally like I say that as someone who who did internalize that type mm-hmm. of content, you know, that those types of conversations for x number of years um but it didn't happen that way at all in the books but i also really like how it set up the next scene where tris Mm -hmm. confronts them and kind of acts as like a steward of siri um and it does give like a really good characterization to the relationship that the two of them have um because we kind of expect Geralt to come in and step in and be like i'm you know basically her dad like you guys need to be nice to her but like Tris is like, no, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs> like, stop yeah. being dicks. Um, and it, it does make for a really great scene, and it's carried out really well. But, like, it would, it, it definitely put the hair on the back of my neck up a little bit yeah. when it started happening. Because yeah. I'm like, this isn't right. This isn't how this happens. But then I'm like, oh, okay, I see where they're going. Oh, I, okay, I kind of like that. Yeah. So Yeah. So in the book, there's a similar exchange where um, Siri gets her period and... Um, like Tris realizes that she, you know, hasn't been given like proper clothes and hasn't been prepared for, you know, puberty basically. Mm-hmm. And so she comes down and she sort of delivers the speech to the witchers um, like, hey, just letting you know, I'm not training today. Like it's my time of the month. And like all of the witchers are like, oh, kind of, okay. <laughs> kind of like, oh, like we see she's a girl and we need to treat uh, her like I- a girl. And actually Eskel um gets down on his knees and like begs Tris for forgiveness. Yeah. He's like, please help us. We are dumb men. <laughs> and it actually is very sweet. Um so in the book it's like as John Mark mentioned, it's a little more like, oh, these are five stupid dads who just yeah. like don't it's, know how it, to, it, you know, raise a girl. Three men and a baby. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sitcom from the 70s. Yes. And it is 100% that energy of just like, we don't know what to do with girls. But like, they <laughs> yeah. have that like sort of protective dad energy immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, oh, it is another girl. She knows how to talk to girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> we put girl and girl together. They talk girl. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? Like, um, so it, it has a very different it's energy a different in the book. Vibe. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you that generally this change works. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, there is no storyline with the monster. So Tris helping out with that um, doesn't Not there. happen yep. in the book. Um, and in addition, the Fainawed storyline with Thesmir doesn't happen. We do learn that Fainawed is indeed something that only grows where um, elder blood falls. But... It's really brought up 
around Laura Doran mm-hmm. instead of Siri. So yeah. this is something that is added. For yeah, actually, the show. We, we never see them figure that out. But that 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 is actually a pretty big reveal in that scene. In that, like, it, it's kind of like one of the big things that they piece together is that, like, oh, Siri has elder blood. Like, oh, that's kind of a big thing. Um, we figured that out because there's flowers growing where she cut herself on the trail. Right. Um, which is actually kind of a cool, cool idea. Like I, I didn't hate that. Like, um, I feel like it was a little bit early in the series to kind of learn that about her. Um, but I mean, it's a TV series. We kind of do have to step on the gas a little bit on some things. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a big spoiler or anything like doesn't really spoil a huge twist. Um, it's kind of a, known story plot mm-hmm. or known story point um so like it, yeah it, it works it's fun i guess i don't know let's talk a little bit about tris and Geralt. okay um yeah so tris and Geralt's in the book it it does unfold sort of like this um mm-hmm. except that they didn't meet in um tamaria so that the thing that happened with their meeting in the first season is not how they met. Yeah, yep. We actually don't know how they met. We just know that they've met before. They have the they have a romantic history together um, in the books. It's and a like, little um, ambiguous. A little ambiguous. Yep. But um, basically what happens is that Tris sort of magically compels him to sleep with her. And as a result, Geralt feels kind of weird about it. And also... Yeah. Because Triss is friends with Yennefer, it's like very kind of shameful for him. And mm-hmm. he definitely is not interested in getting involved with her um, when she comes to care more in. Yeah. Yep. In the TV show, I think he's a little nicer to her. Um, what happens in the book is that she like immediately tries to kiss him. Mm-hmm. Like when she comes to care more and he's like, nah, nah. Like he like blocks her with his hand. Yeah. I think he shoves her ha- his hand in her face. If it I remember is not right. nice. No. Um, he is really cold and uh, she does like sort of do the whole thing where she's like, stay with me for the night, except Geralt does take her up on it, but only because she promises that nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't so. think we ever find out if anything did happen or not, but I think the implication was something, nothing did happen. But um, So anyways. in the book, um, like, and I think they kind of are planning to do the same thing in the TV show, but Geralt is a simp for Yennefer only, and um, Triss is a simp for Geralt, and that is our, like, unresolved love triangle. Yeah, yeah, no, like, like Triss is absolutely, like, completely hung up on Geralt, Um, and Geralt is completely, absolutely, 100% hung up on Yennefer, Um, Mm -hmm. and so it basically all comes down to which, when Yennefer wants Geralt back. (laughs) basically for a lot of the books so strap in i guess a little bit for this plot line here yeah um so let's move on to the um oxenfurt storyline do we have to let's just tackle uh dijkstra a little bit okay okay um i think he's presented a little differently in in the tv series he's kind of like almost a bodyguard um Mm. but we do see his spy chops a little bit we meet him in a different way. We don't see any of this, like, you know, him killing people. I don't think that's really Dijkstra's bag. Well, um, not directly like that. No, he'll, um, he'll arrange it for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's not really his thing, like, directly killing people. So, I mean, like, I've always viewed Dijkstra as basically, like, a fixer. 
You know what I mean? Like he's just kind of like he, there's no one specific thing that is his skill set. His skill set is kind of just whatever is needed. Um, and in the dirtiest way possible, (laughs) like he, he's like, he's, I don't want to, I don't want to say better call Saul, um, because I haven't actually seen breaking bad, but like, like I said, he's kind of the guy that you call when you, you need know a- Olivia Pope from Scandal? No. If you've seen Scandal, there's Olivia Pope, who's like a fixer for politicians, like high level. Um, this is sort mm. of like the medieval version of that. Like Dijkstra does whatever you need yeah, um, yep. to, you know, fix a situation. Yeah. Yep. And he works exclusively. He's very loyal. Like he's dirty, but he's very loyal to Redania. Yeah. Um, almost to a fault. Um, and so like, I did kind of like his portrayal in this. Like it is, it is kind of on character. It's a little bit different than I pictured, but, um, I, I do like him. Like Dijkstra is kind of a zaddy in this. Not going to lie. He really Um, is. Like he's, I don't know. He's a little hot. Like, yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, because Dijkstra in the book is like a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we kind of assume that's like rotund, like, and, and it is really implied that Mm -hmm. he is Zeke portly gentleman yeah yeah um but i don't really have any issues with this portrayal um the owl being there is true to the book mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. we they don't reveal who it is just yet yeah so there, there's a lot of like in this portion of the book where there's there's a lot of like discussion of like the larger machinations of the geopolitics of the time that uh, personally i kind of Lost over a little bit so like i or my eyes glazed over a little bit during them so this is kind of on brand that like there would be discussion happening here and now about like what's going on in the world as a whole um i'm thinking i'm thinking the tv show is probably going to gloss over a good bit of that as well um but like we're probably going to get the major wave points kind of thing like um so like it this was pretty on brand to, to see deekstra like kind of doing stuff yeah, and the the whole Sintra storyline, um, that is a big point of discussion. Is really like who gets Sintra, who controls Sintra, but not really until the end of the book. And we don't really focus on it as a setting. Like yeah, the TV series yeah. focuses a lot on it, which I think is because they want us to not lose sight of it, and it ties yeah. into series character. And, and it's weird because like thinking on it, like that is actually a little bit of a shortcoming of the books. Is that like Sintra falls. And then we come to our current time and like everybody's like, oh, you know, Sintra, she's the princess of Sintra. And but nobody ever goes there. Yeah. Like nobody ever visits there. Like it's not a set piece. No, we only like, see we it, really like, actually kind of forget about Sintra as a whole. Like, yeah, we see it like at the very end, but like we don't see it a lot. So they've definitely centered it more. Yeah, which I don't necessarily mind. Um, but it is a little bit weird to see it as like a big set piece and like one of the, piv- like a pivotal location. Um, there's like sort of a gold rush for Sintra in the TV series. It seems like that's where we're going. That's what we're setting up. And that doesn't really exist in the book. Really. Everyone's just wanting to get their hands on Siri because Siri yeah, means yep. controlling Sintra. Um, so yeah, that's like, I'll give it like kind of rooted in the book, but not exactly. It it unfolds kind of differently. Well, okay. So that also, that, I guess that kind of makes a little bit more sense too, because like, um, in the books, like there was only a few people that knew who she was and the fact that she was still alive. Right. Um, so like they may be kind of playing on the idea that like 
no, not a ton of people are after Siri just yet because they don't necessarily know. Not a lot of people yet know that she's a still alive or b who she is. Right. Um. So our favorite storyline, Yennefer and Kay here. It doesn't happen in the book. <sighs> Once again, do we have to? Um, so yeah, that's completely made up for the TV series. Um, I, I, I don't know what they're doing with that. I don't know if we can like, yeah, and we'll talk about that in the next section. Dandelion and Yennefer meet up in the books. They don't meet up in Oxenfurt. They meet up. So oh, it's sorry. actually referenced in the TV show that he played at like the Oak. So that is mm-hmm. actually how the story begins in blood of elves. Like he's playing Mm -hmm. under the Oak and then he retires to an inn. He's being entertained by some, you know, sex workers when Reince comes up to him. Yes. And is like, Hey, like tell me where Geralt is. Tell me about the, the subjects of your songs. And he's just like, no, they're just songs like, and uh, he escapes, but not really because then he is like, uh, hung up and like tortured for information and Yennefer is a badass and rescues him and that's actually like my favorite um, part of Blood of Elves because we see Yennefer do something really cool she's the one who burns um, Reince's face and uh, she uses magic in a really cool way obviously she doesn't have her magic here so she can't use it so they do meet, and that's actually how she finds out what Geralt is up to. But they have made the choice in the TV series to estrange Geralt and Yaskier. Mm. So he doesn't know what's going on either, so he can't tell her. And obviously the Sandpiper thing and, and Yaskier being like sort of the person who's ferrying elves out of um, Oxenfurt, Sintra, is something that's invented for the TV series as well. Mm-hmm. But the exchange and the meeting actually does happen in the books. So what does that leave us with for this episode? Dara? Um, um, so Dara does not does exist, not exist in, in the, the books. books <laughs> yep. So. Uh, yep. Also, uh, let's see what else we got. Um, I think that's about it. Like as far as it. our major storylines, um, not a lot is rooted in the book for this yeah. one. Um, so thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, thumbs one down. more thing. One okay. more thing before we move on. Geralt and Istrid never meet. We actually don't see Istrid again after yeah, Shard yeah. of Ice. After Shard so, of Ice, uh, nope, never. No, I, I'm i fine with him sticking around, honestly. I've been liking his character a lot, yeah. but I don't know what they're going to do with him um, because, yeah, he doesn't. He just goes away. Um, yeah. Like, yep, never seen again, which is weird because Anse is absolutely like obsessed to a fault with closing storylines. <laughs> yeah, Geralt and Istra do meet, but it's under very different circumstances, I should say. They they do actually interact, but it's they're, different. They're basically setting up for a duel. Like, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. it's a it's a Hamilton style like let's meet in New Jersey. We're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna sort this out. Only one of us is walking away. Yes, yes. Like, yeah. Um so it yeah. Um so yeah. Uh Thumbs up, thumbs down? Yes. So this is the part where we talk about what we liked and what we didn't. Oh, oh. There is probably a lot that uh, we didn't like, so... Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll start with something I did like uh, in the okay. episode. I like Dara. Um, and I was going to say, like, I really like the direction that, that, we've been, that they've been going with him. He's completely made up for the, the TV series. Um, his plot line is relatively engaging, 
Um, the actor is fun. Um, I, and he, he actually does a pretty good job of like facilitating the plot line as well. Um, while also not completely derailing it, um, from the source material. Uh, so he, I would say he's a very good example of like how to stay faithful to source material while also converting to a new medium. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'll give a thumbs up to Yaskier and Yennefer. Mm-hmm. Um, also a thumbs up for me. Cause like, I really like the meeting and it's different in, um, the books, but I don't think that's always a bad thing. Um, I think that it was very nice to see these two characters meet that Yennefer was really excited to see him, especially mm-hmm. because they haven't been really close in the yeah, past. Yeah. And she doesn't have a history of liking him particularly. So and it really is like this kind of frenemy dynamic with mm-hmm. them, which I find really fun. I think the actors have a lot of chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. And you get the sense that they really care about each other even though like Yaskier is like oh I hate you she demon like Mm. we know that he actually really cares about her and I I thought it was cute Um, I thought it was nice that they kind of bonded over being sort of angry at Geralt Um, yes that was that's a yeah that's a really good point that is that was definitely some some solid like a bonding moment for them like that they're both just like very hurt by Geralt and Joey Beatty continues to just shine Absolutely. in this performance. Yep. Like I don't think we got enough of him this season. No. I just I love him. Yeah. Um, he I, I would and I was gonna say like it, during during the section like the charisma like so Joey Beatty is playing a character that's supposed to be very charismatic. Yes. Dandelion is a relatively charismatic character in the book. Joey Beatty has taken the char- charisma of this character up to 11. Like he, yes. he's, he's even more charismatic in the TV show than he is in the books. Joey Beatty is already like my favorite depiction of, of Yaskalion. I mean, um, he steals the show. He steals 100%, every yep. time he's there. And I know we gush about him every time, but I think he deserves it. Like, and, and the lines they give him are some of the best. Yes. Like his writing is really good. Like, I love that line. Now time to do what I do best. And Kay here is like, What's which that? is, I oh, I don't never know. know. <laughs> I never know. I'm so good at it. Like, I yes. love that. I think it's so it's like on brand. completely on brand. Like, yeah. And, and like, it's just so perfect. Um, okay. So I, so I, I'm realizing now that like the people who haven't listened to our primary, like our, our main story arc, uh, I'm realizing now that the people who haven't listened to our main story arc haven't heard me absolutely drag on video game Dandelion. He's the worst. Video game Dandelion is insufferable. I hate him. I want him to die a thousand horrible deaths. Um, In the the storylines, you're constantly rescuing him. Um, He brings nothing to the table and you just you, you absolutely hate him. I hated him as a character going into the books. Mm hmm. Started reading the books. Book Dandelion is... He's pretty good. He's solid. He's a fun character. Um, he does bring more to the table in the in the books. Um, he's a good friend of all of them. Um, he, he has a lot of dynamicness to him. He's relatively charismatic. TV Dandelion, Yaskalion, is just so chef's much more. Kiss. Just I mean, chef's kiss. Just like, mm. He, he really is like able to translate that character so well yes um, yep. but like advance it like yeah he yep. goes beyond and that's hard to do but yeah, he's yep. allowed to kind of do his thing 
Like he's a great singer. He's a great performer, which really helps. Yes, um, yes. But he's funny too. So it's hard to find someone who is charismatic, good at what he does, mm-hmm. and also is great, like, you know, comedy wise. Like yes, his timing yep. is awesome. Yes. Um, um, Dandelion is not a comedian in any of the other depictions, too. He's not funny. He doesn't tell jokes. No, he's like, like fast talking, but he's yeah. not really funny. He he is frequently the butt of jokes. Oh, yeah. Um, but he himself is not funny. Yes. Um, like he doesn't tell jokes or anything like, but like Joey Beatty <laughs> once again, anyways, um, I just mostly wanted to accentuate like how much I disdain most of the character mm-hmm. in all of the other mediums, because I don't know that that's really come across because otherwise it just sounds like me gushing about Joey Beatty and Yaskier. Um, but that it makes more sense in the context of yes. like, of he took a character that I normally barely tolerate right. and made me love him. So He's pretty awesome. Um, so thumbs down. Hate to be a broken record about this, but Kay here just, I hate him. Like, as a character, he brings nothing to the table except just contempt and, um, like, swarminess. And he's kind of like Draco Malfoy, only he's not grown even, up and, like, much worse. He's not even Draco Malfoy. He's because- like fan fiction Draco Malfoy. Like, and it just... It really bothers me. Um, so, so Draco Malfoy is a solid character because he's a foil to the main characters. But the problem is, is that they've separated Kay here from everyone else except for Yennefer, and he's not a foil to Yennefer. No, like they're not. That's not what he's doing. So, like, okay, in the books, Kay here is introduced way into very close to the end of the book series. He's not brought in anywhere close to this early in the story. So I think 99% of the problem that they have with Kay here is that they don't know what to fucking do with him because he doesn't exist in this world. Like he's so completely removed from the source material that they're just kind of like having him do things like that don't make any. They're just rolling the dice. I guess he's going to Oxenford. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. That makes sense. Like in the books, like he's very shadowy and we're like meant to think of him as this boogeyman. Yes. Yes. He actually is fleshed out and we're like, oh, okay, here's an actual person. Yeah. And he's not just like the the person hiding under the bed. Like he's he's actually okay, And he has good motivations for the most part. Siri has nightmares about him for the like five out of the seven books. Um, has literal straight up nightmares about him. Siri never actually even meets him. She does um, meet him at the end. She meets him at the end. Um, but like, because of that, like, because there's so little we know about him so early in the story, it gives him really fantastic literary punch at the end. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why they introduced this character so early. We needed to see him in the first season, but that's it. We don't need to see him again. Only envisions like we didn't need him to be involved in this Yennefer storyline, and I think Yennefer is weighed down by him. Honestly, completely like, weighed down by him. Like He's a wet blanket. Every like, word she says, it's like interjected by him. It's like we have yes. commentary from Kay here on every single line, and I'm we like, we don't care. I hate it. Yeah, like, it seems like he's just there to be like, maybe you have a purpose, Yennefer. And like it's it's the white flame, and that seems to be the only thing that he adds, and it's not much. Or, or if it really is anything at all, I don't know. Um, I just find them very 
like as a pair, I don't think it makes any sense. So the only thing that I can think of, like realistically, is that, like I said, and I've said this before, I think that they may have cast him for like the first season and like the first episode. But then they realize like, okay, well, we really realistically story wise, we don't need this guy until like season five. Yeah. But like we can't keep him on the payroll and like we don't want to lose him. Like so like here's the thing that I don't understand. Just reduce his role in season one. He he doesn't really need to exist other than just being a scary knight. Um, you can fucking CGI his face all you want. Like <laughs> um like like it, it, just do something like you didn't need to bring him in this early because you're very clearly struggling with what to do with him. His motivations make no sense. Other than like uh, he is white flame zealot. Okay, okay, cool. cool. That's not really a. It's not a relatable motivation. It's not an understandable. It's not an identifiable character. It's not a meaningful character. Anyways, once again, this has become the K here hate hour. <laughs> um, so obviously that was a thumbs down. Um, so uh, other thumbs down. We should probably just move on because we could just keep going on that. Um, other thumbs down for this episode. Um, oh, uh, can we can we talk about the elf hate? Um, like we yeah. we we get it. Like the okay. So I I was I've been thinking about this one a lot. So mm-hmm. big thumbs down on the elf hate. And I don't want to I don't want it that to be that simple. Um, because like the elf hate does exist in the book. Um, does exist in the books and. It's there and it's it's part of the main plot, but like it's not accelerated nearly as hard. Um, like we really don't see like elves being dragged out into the street and like beaten to death. That's yeah. not really a thing that we see, certainly not at this point in the story. Um, and the reason I don't like it this hard this early is because so... In this episode, we see a lot of the we see the elves being ferried off to Nilfgaard, mm-hmm. um, which is being now being portrayed as like the safe haven for elves and others. So obviously, that means that the North has issues with oppression and racism and murder, which they do. That is one of the themes in there. But the problem is, is this really muddies the water as to quote, quote, to quote unquote, who the good guy is here. Mm-hmm. Um, so like throughout the book series, we kind of, we kind of support the North. Yes. We, we, as, as, as the reader, as the audience, we like the North, like they have some problems, obviously, you know, the, the, the racism is one of them. Um, but like, it's kind of the, the lines are kind of not necessarily clear and Nilfgaard is kind of pretty, pretty consistently the bad guy because there are the aggressors in the later, in the conflicts that, that come up in the geopolitics. So by having them being, being like a big safe refuge that you have all of, all of these convoys of elves that are escaping oppression and, and literal murder in the streets from the Northern kingdoms into Nilfgaard, it makes it really hard to then want to root for the Northern kingdoms because we like them and like we generally agree with them and they're not generally the aggressors in the armed conflicts in the books or in the series. So you see what I'm saying? It really, really muddles the water Um, because generally like racist murder, bad 
And it gets pretty hard to support anyone that's blatantly doing that. Yeah, like, I agree. It's very heavy-handed. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like we need this much to just prove that there is a elf racism yes, problem. Yes, yes. Um, like, you can... You can portray this. You could show like maybe some people yelling at like an elven shopkeeper like, you know, I don't want to buy your dirty wares, you elf kind of thing, like without necessarily having to show them needing to escape oppression yet. Um, so like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to dump a few spoilers here because we kind of I can't, we kind of need to a little bit for this. OK, so they're not really major spoilers, but they might be spoilers because this might be somewhere where the, the, the show might end up going. So Nilfgaard recruits a bunch of elves later in the in the stories um, to fight for them under the guise of giving them their own kingdom. Yes, that is already kind of popped up a little bit in the in the stories. As a result, the elves form these commando units called the Squiatel, mm-hmm. um, which then go around and violently attack and murder a bunch of like the Northern Kingdom forces, civilians in the Northern Kingdoms, etc. Um, and basically just play guerrilla warfare tactics against the Northern Kingdoms, and they're violent and brutal about it. As a result, there's a big backlash against the elves, which then causes the very heavy accelerated elf racism of like, no, you guys have been murdering us. You know, like uh, my my cousin, you know, out in the woods was like skinned alive kind of thing. Now I hate you elves because you did all of that. And then it's the then the elf racism comes in, and then it makes a little bit more sense as to why the northern kingdoms were having that heavy reactionary like hatred of the elves that was you know kind of pouring gas on that fire. It makes it seem like it's only a northern thing to hate elves mm, when mm-hmm. it does in the books seem more like Nilfgaard is tolerating it because it's a means to an end. Yes, and that is that is entirely the motivation, is that Nilfgaard tolerates the elves because they know that they can use the elves. They seem to want to make it a little easier to understand. Like, North is... The North really hates elves, and Nilfgaard is okay with them and providing the safe refuge. Yeah, yeah. And it it isn't that simple in the book. Um, I think it's very, like, cut and dry when... We aren't supposed to really think, I mean, like, we, we identify more with the North, but we aren't supposed to think that, like, Nilfgaard is some safe refuge, really. Yeah, no, it, and, and that's kind of what's coming across in this episode, and I really don't like that about it, because one of one of the key important factors that they, they talk about really early in the books is the fact that once Nilfgaard takes over a region, they enslave almost everyone in it mm-hmm. and conscript them either into the army or just take all of their resources and just put it into the national pool, um, which is obviously not a good guy tactic. Like, yeah. um, so slavery is generally bad. Um, and that's kind of like where, where, where Nilfgaard falls in all these things and why there's such a like, well, the North has problems but they're not that bad yet. You know what I mean? Like, yes, so like it's, yes. it, it, it muddies the water of like who the good guy is a lot early on that I don't know that necessarily can be cleaned up well later on. Yeah. It's going to be hard to root for the North from this that's what, point on. That's what I mean. Um, like, 
Yeah, like it it definitely is getting a little more difficult, um, especially when I feel like they were making Nilfgaard the cartoon villain in season one. They yeah. seem to be trying yeah. to be like, hey, guys, look, both sides are bad, like, <laughs> but it's not working. That yeah, well. no, it, it's kind of like we kind of forgot how bad Nilfgaard was and they... They kind of just were like the bad guys for the sake of being bad guys. Like it wasn't really like weighted in anything that didn't have really like any like heavy real world application or, you know, examples. And like in the, you know, up in every other medium, we like Redania and we like Tamaria because they're generally pretty good. Once again, they have some racism issues that like, you know, can probably be fixed, can probably be rooted out, can probably be dealt with. But they're not enslaving anyone. They're not actively attacking other countries mm-hmm. for the sake of attacking them. Most of the time. Redania and Deekster are a little, little special in that. But anyways. Um, so generally, like we still like to root for the Northern Kingdoms. This yeah. is making that hard. <laughs> yeah. This whole episode has just been a rant fest. And I'm sorry for that. Well, that's okay. So let's move on to Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> what are your unsolved mysteries, John Mark? Why is Kay here? Um, <laughs> uh, you don't me. even go here. <laughs> oh, I did actually have an unsolved mystery that I wanted to. I, I, this is probably a good a good chance to ask our audience a little bit on um, if anyone has any experience with this. Um, the elf that was signing in the beginning of the episode. Um, I wanted to know if that was actually ASL or not. Um, yeah. And I don't know how to, or like in, an international sign language, uh, just actual sign language, um, or if it was like something that was made up for the show. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to like look it up and s- like, I guess I could probably look up some of the words and be like, how do you sign these words? But like, I don't know if anybody, if any of our listeners off the right out of the gate knows, you know, oh, that, that was, you know, Spanish sign language or something like yeah um you know yeah please let us know i was very curious um because i thought it was a really cool uh a really cool work in and like a really cool example of like working in diversity um because it, it's something that didn't need to be there but it's really cool that it was and i really loved that for it um because i felt like it worked um yeah it's cool to incorporate it was very cool to incorporate um i felt kind of bad that they killed off the character the one character that did it like right away but I mean, some representation is better than none, I guess. I, I guess. I don't, um, I don't like saying that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like that, uh, th- that was, it was a really cool scene. I thought it was really cool to see. I, w- I would like to see more things like that. Um, and I was curious if it was real or not, or if it was just them doing like, oh, yeah, no, he's, he's speaking elf language signs. And you could have just used ASL. Well, if you know, you can DM us on Instagram at Midnight Bookcast. Mm. Um, my unsolved mystery is how did Yaskier become the Sandpiper? Um, I don't know, uh, but that was really cool. And I kind of, I have a feeling I think I might know where, and I don't know if it will ever get explained or not. What's your theory? I might have to tell you off the air because it might be a bit of a big spoiler. Okay. Um, but think about who Dandelion has interacted with and worked for in the past. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I see where you're going with uh-huh. that. Um I yeah, I I think that was a cool storyline and I'd love to hear a little bit more about like we don't need to see it. Like I just would like to see, you know, it explained how yeah, he came yep. into that cuz that's I, really cool. I also loved it cuz I it's completely on brand. Like that is the, like Dandelion 
for all of my faults with him, he was reliable to kind of have a foot in something, you know, whatever the big thing is going on is. Um, and like, so it was really fun to see like, oh, he kind of developed like a means of getting elves out of the North other than the whole issue with the elves, but uh, I'm done ranting about that. (laughs) Um, but like to see him being the one to do it, I was like, that's really on brand and he would be doing that. And I love him for it even more. Um, and it fits his character. So no, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so what, like, what do we think that Triss's initial visit to Karen Warren look like? Because <laughs> like, and this is something I didn't address in oh mm. well, actually, but in the books, it's insinuated. She's come to Karen Warren quite a lot. Yeah. Um, whereas in the TV show, it's like, yeah, like Vesemir reached out to Triss to thank her and invited her to Karen Warren for some reason. Mm-hmm. So like, what do we think she did on her first trip to Karen Warren? Um, Geralt. <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think so, actually. No, actually, yeah, I don't. I don't Maybe Vesemir. Oh. Maybe she hooked up with so, Papa Vesemir. Okay, so there is, and I don't think there's any spoilers in this. Um, maybe um but like there was kind of like a a conspiracy theory or like a fan theory um that after kind of kind of between Geralt and Triss um or between Geralt Triss had been like developing a thing with Lambert not um, Lambert actually Eskel I thought it was Lambert No it's Eskel Okay No no cause, okay no cuz the the whole the whole scene in okay during during the 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 drunken uh bond the drunken fireplace thing mm-hmm. lambert confesses to having uh jumped out of a lover's window in his underwear oh and i then, see what you're saying yes yeah. yes yes um and then people were like oh hey there's you know in triss's room when you're sleeping with her or whatever there's like footprints by the by the window or something and it was lambert like so oh, yeah, no. It, the the fan theory was that it was Lambert that like they had been romantic um in place of Geralt or around the time when yeah, anyways. They definitely have like sort of a love-hate dynamic going on like yeah. um you know like hating each other to liking each other which uh-huh. is one of my favorite romantic tropes actually. Mm-hmm. So I could see it. Yeah, yeah, and and that was kind of like in while we don't see it in the book, well, no, we see it a little bit in the book. There's, there's, there's tension between Lambert and yeah, Triss. like he he calls her Marigold. She hates when he does that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they definitely have that dynamic. Yeah. One more question: How did Triss become a redhead? Magic. She was hit by fire, and suddenly her hair color changed. Yeah. Um. So, like, okay, I think th- this this actually. Well, okay. So it fits a little bit better in the books, I guess, um, because we don't see it happen in the show. But in the books, d- after the Battle of Sodden, she's the one that everybody thinks is dead um, mm-hmm. because she was so badly burned and like all of her hair burned off and no one recognized her as Triss. So I always kind of assumed that it was they did the same magical restoration on her that they did on everybody else to fix all of their ailments. And that was the hair color that she wanted to have. 
Well, in the book, she's not a redhead. Um, yeah. So uh, whatever, it's fine. And in the TV show, when her hair changes, like it's she doesn't lose her hair at the Battle of Sodden. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe aliens. <laughs> um, who do you think Lauren Hisrick and or the writers were talking about in that whole speech about like uh, that the guard gets about um, like him complaining about Yaskier's song and the time jump. Oh, and- thank you for reminding me of this because I really wanted to bring this point up um, because I felt like it was it was simultaneously like fun and insulting at the same time (laughs) um because like so obviously one of the big complaints with the first season of the show is that like and watching it through ourselves like you don't necessarily figure out right away that there's different timelines which is literally a direct quote by the dock worker like oh it took me to the fourth verse to realize there were separate (laughs) timelines um so like while I I, I like a, a property that's self-aware, I also kind of feel like this was this came off as an insult to its fan base. It did feel like a little bit like, oh, we know what you're saying about us. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And like like the fact that it was this big, dumb, loudish dock worker who's like, oh, I didn't really like it that much because I didn't understand it right away. And then. Yaskier then and Yaskier then turns around and is like, well, you should go write us write a story then. So like I really do feel like this was almost a direct like call out of the fan base and then like an insult uh, like an insult, like, oh you guys go write one then. Like, okay, that's what fanfic is. Like people do that. Like I, I felt a little bit insulted by it in all honesty. Like Yeah. I, I and I, I get that. I think it was I think it was supposed to be like just a fun nudge to like you know like oh yeah you know you guys didn't pick up on the fact that there were different timelines kind of thing like I don't think it was supposed to be yeah. insulting but the problem is is like when you're when you're fucking with the the storylines that much as much as you are and then you're like yell at complaining that the that the fan base isn't the, aren't the ones that are getting it and following it like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, you guys should be able to keep up with this. Like, it feels really insulting. Yeah, I actually didn't mind the separate timelines in season one. I know I was kind of in the minority on that one. Um, no, I, I didn't mind it either. I think it was just like, I mm-hmm. once again, like we said, that like a lot of people struggled with. I didn't realize that it was separate timelines myself well, um, right away, at least. Let, let's just say this. It's hard to make a TV show. We realize that. And we yeah. know that there's a lot of people that are going to have issues with you in a lot of different ways. I would say don't look as much at your Instagram DMs. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. I actually, I mean that sincerely. Like, I think that you're trying to do something that's really hard. And sometimes, you know, you're going to have people that are sitting on the sidelines like, oh, you could do that better. And I get that's annoying. Like, I kind of have a problem with a lot of fan bases that are like, Ugh, you changed something. You made a character like diverse and I don't like that. And I feel like there's a fair amount of that kind of criticism in, across multiple properties. But I also think that there is something to be said for listening to the fans um, and just like being like, yeah, I get it. Like everyone has a different perspective and that's okay. So I think here's, here's my and I'll try and keep this much briefer because this whole episode has been a lot of me ranting. Um, 
I think if you're going to if you're going to try and tell a unique and creative story that's your own that you've taken ownership of and like you've raised from cradle to grave write your own thing like do your mm. own thing if you are coming on to a project to convert a property into a different medium you are always going to be beholden to the source material So, like, if you don't want to have full creative range to be the creative free spirit that you are, don't convert a medium. Like, don't don't do something that already has a source material. Like, write your own thing. Adaptations kind of suck. Um, Yeah. They they do. And it's hard because it's like you want to be the person in control of it. But at the end of the day, um, it does sort of belong to the fans. And, like... Like I said, I I can be sympathetic to that while still understanding that, you know, there was a lot left to be desired in season two. And like I said before, like I say all of these things knowing full well that I I don't have the ability to do these things. Consider us the um, disgruntled dock workers shaking our (laughs) fist like, oh, you didn't do that thing I like. Yeah. yeah. Um, But anyway, I think that the show is at its best when it's adapting the source material like pretty closely to how it unfolded mm-hmm. in the book mm-hmm. like making a couple of changes as needed um you know interpreting things as you will but like i think when they divert sometimes it just feels like really off but yeah. um yep. you know what do i know yeah so final question how many coins would you toss to episode four of the witcher on netflix redanian intelligence I would toss two broken lutes to this episode. What does that translate to in coins? Uh, about four coins. Ooh, that's that's rough. This is it's actually probably the lowest score I've given to an episode. Yeah, uh, ever. I, if it is the lowest score that I've given to an episode, this episode is. And it, it's weird because, like, I don't like while I'm sitting there watching it, I'm not like I actively hate this episode. But, like, looking back on the storyline and the plotline of it, I'm like, there's just nothing in this episode. Like, like it's all hackneyed and, like, gobble, cobbled together. And, like, it's all establishing other things. Um, They're MacGyvering it. The, everything, yeah, everything in here is either a MacGyver or a MacGuffin. Um, like, there's there's things in it I like. I actually really liked the sequence in the, the sewers. Like, I thought that was really interesting and fun to watch. Um, from a large scale plot standpoint, it didn't need to happen, <laughs> but like, um, and, and I think like that, that's just like the really fundamental issues with this episode. Um, there's a lot of like fun spectacle things that happen. Uh, there's a lot of good visual effects. Um, the actors are great. <laughs> um, and, but like there are, I can't get around the major foundational issues with with the storytelling in in this episode. The bones aren't good. The bones are um, not good in this episode. But the the siding is good. The roof is okay. <laughs> the roof is so pretty. The roof is pretty. You won't believe how <laughs> beautiful that roof is. But there's a hole in the floor. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's actually a great metaphor. Yeah. Um, you know, John Mark, we don't typically have the same rating but i'm gonna go with four coins as well um 
I think I only give it as high of a rating as I do because I really liked Yaskier and Yennefer. They sing like somebody's got to check on Anya Charlatra and Yaskier and Joey Beatty's spines to make sure they're not broken from absolutely <laughs> carrying this entire episode on two and a half on like one and a half scenes. Like I mean, like they are the only good thing. Like they are the only like solid things in this in this episode. I really like their performance. Um, and I want to say I called it because I revised my prediction for season two to say that they would meet, and they did. Yeah, um, yep. in a different way. But I just called it. I'm so happy to be right. I will say also, actually, at least one of my coins is from is from Dijkstra and his depiction of of him. Yeah, like existing. I agree. Um, he I didn't like do that. anything interesting, and I think that's probably why I keep forgetting that he's part of the episode. Um, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> but like, I do really like him as Dijkstra. He, the casting is great. Uh, the actor is fantastic. Someone make a gif of that. I just <laughs> want to use it all the time. Um, I, I will also say that I didn't find anything blatantly offensive about the Caramoran storyline. I mm. just, you know, wasn't really excited about it. Like. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> it happened. Like, you know, Geralt continues to do Geralt stuff. And, you know, Henry Cavill is, you know, great as him. The Kara um, Morhen stuff just felt like bridge chat, like bridge sections. It didn't like, shine as brightly um, as Joey Beatty this time around. Yep, um, yep. I think that four coins is a pretty good rating overall. Yeah, yeah. it's slightly below average. <laughs> Four coins for the fourth episode. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, sure, we'll go with that. Four marks. Um, Get so it? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, in this episode's defense, like, there's definitely chapters of the books that I, I gave about as many stars to. Like, it's one thousand floors of frights. Not all of them are going to be. Not winners. all going to be winners. Yeah, sometimes you just need to move the plot forward. Um, so, did 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 you have anything else? No. Are you fine? Are are we finally out of rant fuel? I think so. Um, get out your pitchforks. We're gonna go hunting for elves. I guess <laughs> since we're all now, we are now all legally required to be elf racists. Um, um, yeah. So you know, uh, get your smuggling cloak on and get ready to get on the boat, folks, because we're going to Sintra. Um, so with that, I think the fire is getting a little low, um, and we got to go fight the river monster, uh, that has tentacles that I, uh, is now apparently living in the sewer. And I think we got to go deal with that. So until next time, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night.